Welcome to Below the Fold, the most honest and raw digital marketing podcast around. It's good to be back. Coming back with a bang. I might be hiring someone to speak for me. So you think you're an SEO ninja, eh? That was just my little fantasy in the back of my head. Here's the tip. Oh, I know the tip. Are you the one who told me the tip? I need you to come up with 50 business ideas. I'll be back in two hours. I think I need a new title. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This show is for marketers, startups, and anyone else wanting to know the ins and outs, the ups and downs of digital marketing. My name is Jacob Perry, and today I'm joined by Brandon Hassler. What's up, Brandino? Not much. Happy to be here. Heck yeah. Anyway, Derek couldn't couldn't be here today, so we're going to go on without him. Uh, last week, we mentioned that Jason Smith from Mountain America Bank was going to be here. He also had something come up and had to reschedule. So it's just the loan to amigos. Excited. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. As always, we're going to start off with some current events, after which we've got a special surprise for you. Uh, and we'll talk about it when current events is over. Brandon. I feel like I've become the official current events guy. I think I think uh, we've naturally transitioned to that. All right. I'll consider that a promotion. Okay. Um, so let me first ask you this question. You're using social media. You see a post from someone influential. How do you identify personally whether that was a sponsored post? And can you usually tell right when you watch it? Like, wait, I'm sorry, that was sponsored. you're on YouTube, anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Doesn't it say it's sponsored? Like, do you actively look for that, or yeah, I do. If I, yeah, and do you generally feel that you have a sense like this was sponsored? And then you look. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if uh, it's mainly on, yeah, yeah. And what are the common ways that you've noticed influencers attribute the post to be sponsored? Uh, I just, it's not them attributing it. I just see Instagram or Facebook is the one who labels it. Ah, uh, you're thinking, okay. What, what, what are you saying? I see what you're saying. Bad question by me. <laughs> you're talking about like actual ads popping up. Yeah, you're not. I'm talking like, um, a fashion line works with Kim Kardashian to do a post and Kim shows off these new high heels on Kim Kardashian's account. Oh, so account. You, ha- you have to be following the influencers. Yes, that's so, what I so, meant. So that, I'm a terrible person to ask. I literally follow zero influencers. Well, there we, who do you follow? Just, uh, you follow well, me, right? I'm yeah, like one of the biggest. Yeah, you you are literally <laughs> the biggest influencer that I follow. <laughs> well, that's sad then. Yeah. No, on Instagram, I, I, I'm so I'm not a big social media guy, okay? Like, I, I'm rarely on Facebook, and I rarely post. In fact, people are probably so sick of it because the only thing I do post is each below the fold episode. <laughs> That's literally the only thing I'm posting. And uh and uh on Instagram, like I'm I'm a I'm private. Like the only people I, I accept are family members and friends who don't mind seeing pictures of my kids and my dog. Fair enough. Well, the reason I bring this up, yeah. I was actually gonna cover this last week, but Derek was so excited to get in the episode. I know. That we just jumped right in, which worked out. So now this is just an event. It's not really current. I mean, you could say it's somewhat current. It's relative, right? It's, yeah. So the news is that the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, for those of you who do not know, um, they reached out to 90 Instagram celebrities, athletes, and other influencers. Did they they list 
They did not name who they were, but they did publish the letter. So you can go to FTC's website and there's like a PDF of the letter that they sent out. Is it long? Uh, It's like a page and a half. So you're not going to read it. Not going to read it. But (laughs) basically, so it's significant because this is the first time the FTC has reached out to social influencers to educate them on, you know, fair use and all that or guidelines and everything like that. So hang on just that because influencers historically were just taking money and not following the rule. Like you have to disclose that you're doing this for money. Yeah. And but they weren't. And it's it's all like under the table stuff. It's always been kind of behind the scenes slash uh, not super impactful to the economy or whatever. So it's never really mm-hmm. kind of made waves or, you know, ripples or whatever. But now it's getting big enough. Enough money is exchanging hands that they feel hey, we should probably put the kibosh on this. Yeah, the FTC is taking a closer look. And for the most part, from everything I've read, a lot of these, a lot, most influencers do disclose that it is sponsored. They just do it in a very poor way. And that's mainly what the FTC was telling them about. So common ways that you would see an Instagram influencer say that this was a, you know, a, a sponsored post or whatnot is hashtag ad, hashtag SP, sponsored post, hashtag thanks, brand so if it's samsung they'd say you know hashtag thanks samsung or hashtag partner and that's not good enough and they would and they would include that in like a giant cluster of hashtags yeah hashtag tgif hashtag ad hashtag whatever yeah all that stuff and so the ftc is not saying you can't use that but like that needs to be like if you're going to say hashtag ad it needs to be the caption and hashtag ad not 50 other hashtags so so if you want to do a bunch of hashtags you put hashtag ad in the first caption and then do a second caption just for your hashtags. Yeah. And I think they even, uh, the letter specifically said that the, like on Instagram, at least the disclosure needs to be within the first three lines of the caption that this was a sponsored um, post. That's so interesting. My first question is why did it only go to 90? There's got to be more influencers than 90. Did they target them because they weren't doing it at all? Or were they just not doing it good enough? And did they just do 90 maybe because they knew it would get news and communicate it to the other thousands of influencers out there? I don't know why they picked 90. Yeah, there's obviously a lot, but maybe they picked 90 big ones who they've noticed. I mean, maybe, I mean, there's a lot of influencers and maybe most of them are doing a good job and there was a select few that were, that could do better. And did they send the letter to their home, to their agent, to their office? How did they get their address? That's a good question. I did not know. Dang, Brandon, come on. <laughs> but it'd be easier if they disclosed who the influencers were. But it's interesting because relationships need to be clarified. So um, if my brother owns a, uh, a a new startup or whatnot, maybe they're, they're, it's a juicer or something like that, and I talk about that, I need to disclose that, hey, by the way, this is my brother's company. Even though my brother's not paying me or anything like that, you do need to disclose if it's family um, someone that you know, so like if it's Derek's company and you're doing something on the show and you mention like, oh, this is such a great company because you guys have a business relationship, you'd need to disclose that on there so that people are aware that, okay, there might be some bias because this is family or it's a friend. So I thought that was interesting, but it does show, I guess the whole point is it shows that social media slash influencer marketing is becoming a thing big enough that the FTC now is paying heavy attention 
to yeah, it. Yeah, that is so crazy. I'm really, really curious to see how this goes forward, knowing uh, that once the government gets involved, things kind of get muddied up. So I wonder how influencers re- will react. I wonder her, what will happen to those that uh, decide to ignore the letter or any FTC. Like, I wonder what kind of retribution will come from this. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Cool. That's a good story. What else you got? The other news I had was, maybe you saw this, uh, Google Chrome is going to have a built-in ad blocker. Have you heard about that? I did see that. What are your thoughts on that? So before I mention my own thoughts, uh, I don't know if it's the same article, but the one I was looking at mentioned the number of, uh, the percentage of people who have Chrome installed on their devices. Did, did your article mention that? Uh, it may have. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's like 60, 70% or something like that of oh, people yeah, who use Chrome. 60% of people. I would actually think it's higher than 60. So hang on. What, what, read, read that portion. What does it say? Chrome is already the dominant browser with nearly 60% of the browser market. The next biggest is. Um, it's Safari. Internet Explorer. Really? Trailing at 19%. Holy cow. So 60% down to 19% number two. Yeah. So Chrome is at number one with 60% of the browser market. Is that how they worded that? Yeah. What does that even mean? I think it's anyone who uses a web browser. Yeah. It means comparing you got Opera, uh, Safari, Edge, Firefox. Firefox. Yeah. Well, no. So it's saying out of 100 people who use a web browser, 60% of them use Chrome. Yeah. Right? So 60% of people use Chrome, and Chrome is about to install a an ad blocker into its browser. Mm-hmm. What do I think about that? Okay, so you you obviously have two parties. You have the part that you have the people that hate hate ads and they get ad blockers and it's awesome because, you know, whatever. And then you have the group who um I, I should say three groups. The second group, like they're okay with ads because ads are getting to the point where they're so targeted that they actually are what you want, right? If you're in the market for something and you get an ad, that's helpful. So Facebook is getting uh, way better at this. Like every time I, I stop on a, on a post in Facebook, 70% of the time it's an ad and it, and it interests me, right? Because I'm targeted. I'm specifically targeted for this specific ad. So I'm, I'm in the group that I don't mind ads as long, I mean, as long as they're done correctly and I'm getting targeted, I'm okay with that. Right. Um, and then the third group are people who just don't care. Right. Uh, I do have ad blocker installed. Um, and I'm, I almost, I almost regret it a little bit because more and more websites are building in ad block blockers. Right. So if you had, if you have an ad block on, uh, it doesn't allow you to consume the content. Forbes is an example of that. If Mm -hmm. you go to Forbes and you have an ad blocker, They'll stop you and say, you can't come in here until you disable your ads and then, or your ad blocker. And then you go and disable your ad blocker for that domain and you get access, right? Well, that's kind of annoying, right? Yep. Although on the other side, Forbes does have a really annoying ad, like their ad stuff is super annoying. But um, to answer your question, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm hesitant to say that it's awesome because I am a Chrome user and I imagine basically having to go into Chrome settings and disable my ad blocker for all those websites. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I like it because I was using Adblock, uh, which is, I think, the most popular 
extension in terms of that's the stop sign one with the hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can whitelist websites like you mentioned, but it's it's a hassle to whitelist. And really the only reason you're installing it is because you have those annoying ads. And you know, as a YouTube creator myself, I am happy to support people, uh, whether it is a blog or a YouTube video. I have no problem watching ads or having ads appear. It's just those annoying ones. It's the pop-ups. I mean, now on YouTube, I finally just subscribed to YouTube Red, so I don't have ads, and they still get. Do you like that? Like, have you noticed like a huge difference? Has it made your life so much better? Uh, it's nice, just because. Um, well, a it's it's I, I, I it YouTube Red comes with YouTube Play Music, so I was using Spotify. Um, so so you're saving money, is what you're saying. It's the same price as Spotify. I get pretty much the same size library with Google Play Music, and it also comes with a YouTube Red subscription, so you get their original. How much is that? Ten bucks? Ten bucks, bucks. Ten bucks a month. Okay. So I mean, I was already spending ten, so why not just get the same music and uh, also ad free YouTube? Because I watch most of my YouTube on my TV at home, and that one I can't have yeah. an ad blocker on there. YouTube Red does it have a different platform? No, it's it just, looks the same. Yeah, you're you're literally just on YouTube, but your account has. It's red subscription, so it, it adds a couple things in the left, like your originals and all that stuff. Huh. That's which, pretty cool. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's cool because – and there's a lot of conspiracy theories, and I think that was the article you were referring to that I previously shared with you during the week. Uh, just because Google, obviously, I mean, 90% of their revenue is from ads, search ads, display ads, and all that stuff. So, of course, it's going to keep showing their own ads and Google has said that basically... It's, Wait, is, it, that, is that a guess? Um, no, it will. Like, basically, Google is saying that they are, um, as far as determining which ads to block, there is, a, I guess, is an organization, Coalition for Better Ads. And as long as your ads meet the standards f- that this coalition has set, your ads will show within their browser. So, basically, it's their effort of... Cleaning up the internet. Cleaning up, like, yeah, because ads aren't bad, like you said, like, especially if they're run well. Like, I kind of like seeing ads sometimes. And even with ad blockers, sometimes because you're taking the ads out, the website almost looks goofy because it's designed with ads on it. And then all of a sudden they're gone and it's just weird. So this is kind of an, I, I think it's pretty cool. Some people are, you know, the conspiracy is this is Google's secret little attempt at trying to squeeze out other competitors of ad mm-hmm. platforms but mm-hmm. whatever i don't care as a consumer i think it's great because yeah like i said i'm happy to look at ads i'm happy to support creators if that's what it takes i just don't want to see the annoying pop-up ads and it is the sites like forbes and hollywood gossip websites where you get hit with 50 different ads all at once you know what I hope they block is the stupid articles where it's like 30 things, whatever, and then you got to keep hitting the next button and then wait for the page to reload. Yep. And then the 50 ads to load. That crap. Yep, yep, yep. That crap is bad. It just needs to like block that from the results, period. So you can't even get to it. So you don't have that moment of frustration. Agreed. So those are the two stories. I thought I had something else, but I forgot to write it down. That's I think okay. it was something significant, but uh, well, maybe we'll talk about it next week. I was just going to say, you don't have high standards for when you share current events, so <laughs> we'll just put that one, uh, we'll put a pin in it until next week. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> I promised that we would do something interesting and different after current events, and here it is. We are getting into, what are we calling it? Digital marketing roulette. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
It's time to play Digital Marketing Roulette. We have chosen three topics, social media marketing, email marketing, and content marketing. We have compiled 10 frequently asked questions. Sorry, excuse me. We have compiled 20 frequently asked questions for each topic, and we are going to roulette. We are going to uh, use a random number generator that will choose one out of the 60 questions at a time, and we will attempt to answer those questions. Brandon, are you ready? I am ready. I've got the ball in my hand. Okay, here we go. First roulette question. Here we go. 60 total questions, right? 60 total questions. What's it going to land on? Looks like we are landing on 16. Question number 16 is a social media marketing question. Who's answering this one? Uh, I'm going to ask it, and then you can start, and then I'll add any commentary. Fair enough. I don't know if we'll go back and forth or if we'll just kind of go with it, but uh, question number 16. (laughs) Sorry, guys. We got all sorts of machines here. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Okay, so question number 16. What type of social media content converts best? What type of social media content converts best? Um, I guess it depends on your definition of conversion, obviously, whether it's engagement or click-throughs. I'm going to go with engagement because I honestly think that's really important over click-throughs. Yeah. Um, And in that case, I would say either I have to pick one. I would say YouTube. And the reason I pick YouTube, my second one was going to be Instagram. YouTube is awesome because the engagement is insanely high. It's one of the few platforms. So where, hang, hang on, because this is asking what type of social media content. So you're oh, saying video. Yeah, yeah, okay. You're saying video. Yeah, I think video on any of them except Instagram photos do do better. But do 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 they do do better. Hmm. See, I would say video content. So video content converts the best, and you're saying conversion is defined as engagement. Yeah, and I think that holds true on Facebook as well. So um, the answer I would give is that it depends, right? It depends on your audience. Um, here's, here's one of the best pieces of advice that I have heard and given to others that are wondering which social platform, right? So this question is specific to which type of content. And I'm going to take a step back and answer it kind of how you, how you were answering it by platform is there are specific ways that you can look at where your audience is. So that's step one, right? Is... Uh, no matter what business you're in, you have an audience that's on a specific platform more than any other. So that's where your business should go, that platform. Then step two is to find out what type of content is best on that specific platform, right? So you had mentioned YouTube and video, and I think, I think generally you're, you're accurate. I think that, that video is a, uh, is, a, is a very, very good way to get engagement uh, as a conversion metric. Uh, to take a step back, if you find that your audience is on YouTube, then I mean, the obvious the obvious answer is video, right? You need to do video. Uh, but if you find your, your audience is on Facebook, then uh, memes might be better, right? That's specific type of content. Um, anyway, I, I would take a step back, find out where your audience is. And one of the best ways to do this is actually use Google Analytics. So you can go into Google Analytics and uh, look through um, the acquisition portion that, that shows where, uh, and then you can click on channels and you can see which channels or platforms most of your audience is coming from. And, uh, and that's where you should focus. Do some, you know, just look up uh, uh, which content 
works best for that specific platform. We don't need to spend 20 minutes on each platform. But um, interestingly enough, Brandon, can you tell me, quiz question here, can you tell me which platform, social media platform, generates the most organic visits to Vivint Smart Home? Uh, I'm going to go with Facebook. So Facebook is accurate. Um, My second one would have been YouTube. Okay, so second one is actually Pinterest, uh. which the most interesting part about that is that uh, we're actually not doing anything on Pinterest currently. So it's a campaign. Pinterest was heavily used like two years ago, and it's still driving a ton of organic traffic. So keep that in mind for Pinterest. All right, so that was question number one. Digital marketing roulette. Let's spin it again. Here we go. That ball rolled for a while. We got number 25. So number 25 is in the email category. And the question is, how should I grow my subscriber list? So there are a lot of ways to grow your subscriber list, right? Uh, One of the most popular ways is to use gated content, right? So you have a capture form where you create a really, really great piece of content uh, that people want to consume. But in order to consume that piece of content, they have to pay with their email address. And by doing that, obviously, you can grow your email address. Do you have a specific uh, idea on how to grow your subscriber list, Brandon? Um. The most obvious one is just ask. Uh, it's surprising how many companies have an email list and their only effort is at the bottom corner of the website. It says something like, you know, sign up for our newsletter, put your email here. Very few people actually do that. Even just having a pop-up and asking the same exact question will likely quadruple the amount of signups, even if that's one person a week to four people a week. So there's pop-ups and, and two of my favorite tools, uh, sumo.com is a really popular one. And you can start out using that for free. And then mailmunch.co is another one that I like a lot. Also, you can use that one for free, collect unlimited emails. It looks great. And it, and it integrates with WordPress. Integrates with WordPress and many other platforms. So those are both really good. And then, um, yeah, offering, uh, you go to like apparel websites, Old Navy, uh, all these places, Almost always you're going to go there and it says, you know, a pop-up, get 10% off your first order by joining our email list. So, of course, you're going to join and get 10% off and then you're going to get follow-up emails and all that stuff. So, there's those. And then uh, another thing that's kind of taking off, especially if you're in the position of launching either a new product within your company, maybe it's a relaunch or maybe you're starting a company and this is your first launch of anything is a viral waiting lists, I guess is what you could call it to where uh, people kind of get a little sneak peek of the pre uh, product Robinhood, the uh, stock trading app. You mm-hmm. Remember that? Yep. That was, uh, that was by off. invitation only. Yeah. You sign up, uh, you just put your email in, you get on the list. And the cool thing is, is uh, if you're using the right platform, you can share a special link with your friends. And every time uh, your friends sign up with their email, you move up in line uh, and you can either reward people, so the first 10 people get it for free, the first 50 get half off, all these different things, or maybe it's just early access depending on how early you are. And um, there's a lot of services. There's Viper, uh, V-Y-P-E-R, and then another one is, I can't pronounce it because they're 
they're French. I had a phone call with them and <laughs> I had somewhat of a hard time speaking with them, but uh, it's like Maitre. So M-A-I-T-R-E. You can just type that in like waiting list or, or email growth. So they're both kind of growth hacking tools, but that's a really effective way if you have something that you're launching like that it works best in those types of events so those so, are some quick so, things so the common theme here is you need to offer something in return for an email address people aren't just going to leave it just to leave it mm-hmm. uh and uh we mentioned the word incentive there once or twice but you got to make sure that you're incentivizing them to leave your email so some popular forms of incentives are white papers a video webinar uh brandon mentioned coupons so depending on what business you're in and what you have to offer Make sure that it's uh, it's of equal or greater worth, right? Mm-hmm. So an email address is very valuable to someone. Uh, so by offering up their email address, they want to feel like they're getting something worth that exchange. Anyway, so uh, that answers the question, how should I grow my subscriber list? Also, okay, Brandon. As, as an added thing, sure. I've noticed uh, it works well if you have a small little disclaimer, even if you kind of word it in a fun way, but just stating that you won't spam them makes them feel better about subscribing. I know that's how I am. Even though I know I'm still going to get spammed, there's just like that part where it's like, don't worry, we're not going to spam you. We hate spam too type stuff. You're more likely to be like, okay, I'm not signing up and getting 50 emails a day. That's a good email hack. By the way, last thing on email. All right, it's rolling. Email is still the number one channel for uh, growth or for Mm. uh, what's the best metric with email? Um, capturing the most people, capturing the most, I don't know what it is. Email is super important. If you're not doing email, you got to get in that. Yeah. It's a, uh, 4,400, uh, enter, uh, return on investment. So what is it? 44%. 44%. Yeah. That's so like higher than dollar any other thing. you spend on email. You should be making 44 back, assuming you're doing it right. No, 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 no. That's a loss of 66 cents. What did I say? <laughs> you said for every dollar you spend, you should get forty-four back. Forty-four dollars back. Oh, for That's a dollar. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, forty-four yeah. So dollars. For every back. dollar, you should get every, uh, <laughs> for forty-four dollars back. Yes, okay. yes. You would not want to operate <laughs> on a loss. For every dollar you may or you spend, you're getting forty-four cents back. <laughs> so okay. So what did it land on? Landed on thirty-five. Thirty-five is still within the email marketing uh, group. Uh, thirty-five is how can I get subscribers to open my emails? So this is actually a really great question because the first one asks, how do we increase the number of people who subscribe? This is kind of a really great follow-up question where now I have subscribers. What do I do to get them to open my emails? Um, so it starts with before they even open it's the it's the name, it's the title, and for many people who use services like Yahoo Mail, Gmail, the first you know line or so of text is appearing in the actual um, preview there, and, and many people will read those before opening it to determine is this just a sales message? Is is someone actually reaching out? So a couple little things that I have done that I have seen results. Uh, one of them I actually pulled. Uh, students at Market Campus asking them, would you guys be more likely to open an email from Market Campus or Brandon Hassler or Brandon at Market Campus? What do you think? Maybe you've seen the poll, but what uh, would your answer be to that? First name at company, company name, or their full name? First name at company. First name. That's what most people picked. But it's full name, isn't it? No. Uh, 
Well, I mean, it's not a right answer. That's oh. what most people said they prefer. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Survey says, <laughs> uh, yeah, most people, and I was surprised by that. Um, and But the reason people liked it is it felt a little bit more personal, but at the same time, it lets them know that this is from a company that they're wanting to do business with, whether they just subscribed or whatnot. So that is one thing that you can experiment with. And then the other thing is, especially when it's coming from a person, like, you know, Joe at company, um, try not to have, and again, you got to experiment different industries and whatnot, but it's tempting just to like capitalize every letter in the title as if it's like a blog post or something like that. But I've even done some where everything is lowercase, including the first letter, just because it feels like someone just like quickly typed out a personal email. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, if just running it like a sentence without the, you know, what do you call it? Punctuation at the end. Um, I've noticed a lot of, uh, a lot more open rates by doing that, just trying to make things feel more personal and obviously opening up with their name. Hey, so-and-so, because they're going to see that before they mm-hmm. even open it instead of hi friend, or did you know that we're having a 50% off sale today? And they see that in the preview. So you got to make sure that first sentence is well optimized, feels personal, and that is going to increase your open rates. Okay. So in short, right. You're trying to get people to open it, which means you actually have a very, very narrow field to focus on. There are three elements when you're trying to get people to open your emails. One is who it's from. Two is the subject line. Three is the preview text. So there are three elements that you need to optimize. Brandon went through them. You need to make sure that the from is optimized specifically so that more and more people are willing to open The subject line, probably the most important element, is something that you need to test, retest, and retest again to make sure that, I mean, literally, that is the only thing. If people are not opening your email, it's because they do not feel like it's for them or they can't engage with it. So remember, from line, subject line, preview text. Okay. Yep. Um, A quick, dirty, somewhat black hat is to start your... Subject line with R-E colon space whatever, and it makes it look like... Like they're responding to an email that you previously sent yeah. them. Which, does what does that stand for? Is that regarding or is it replying? I think it's reply. Okay. Because if someone were to be pissed off and email back, I would be like, oh, I was just saying like regarding this whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. So but you catch just... your attention. <laughs> you might piss people off, but it's something worth experimenting with. Yeah, do it. Okay. Let's go to the next question. All righty. I love the sound of that. Mm -hmm. Looks like we have got 49. Okay, so 49 goes into the content marketing section. And it asks, do I need an editorial calendar? So, Brandon, do you have an editorial calendar for anything that you're doing? Um... Right now, no, but when I am actively, like, maintaining and upkeeping a blog, I... You do have an editorial... What, what about for your YouTube channel? Do you have an editorial calendar at all? Um, Not really? I have a list. I don't have them attached to specific dates, but I have a list, like... Because I already know my dates of, like, it's we're going to upload this and then this, um, you know, Thursdays, Sundays, and I just have a list of the Sunday shows... This is what it's going to be. Yeah. But if I was more sporadic, yeah. And if I was taking it more seriously, 
I would definitely have yep. a spreadsheet with dates and deadlines and stuff attached. Yeah. So honestly, I think a list can even count as an editorial calendar, <clears throat> right? So even though it says the word calendar in there, I don't think, I mean, there are lots of different versions of a calendar that aren't even formatted like a calendar. And I think a list could fall under that. It's kind of like, here's the list of the things that I'm going to be doing next. That's probably the most basic version of an editorial calendar. Uh, my response would be, it depends on your strategy, right? If you're working with a lot of different departments, it's really helpful to have an edit editorial calendar in the format of like a Gantt chart, right? So a Gantt chart uh, can visually and quickly show you when something is being worked on, when the deadline is happening, who will be working on it, and when. Um, and it, it allows you to easily um, uh, make edits and ch and changes and um, updates. Um, so that so that's really it's really really helpful interdepartmentally between uh, groups within a company. Uh, obviously, if you're a writer and you have deadlines, if if your job is specifically set around deadlines, then editorial calendars are almost necessary. Uh, but again, it, it depends on your strategy. I always recommend having it, whether you're working with people or working with yourself, because you either it either allows you to hold yourself accountable or others accountable. Uh, one thing I found is that um, there are some cases where I will request a specific project to be worked on, and then I follow up a month later, and and their response is, "Oh, I didn't. Uh, we haven't started, or you haven't sent that to me yet." And an editorial calendar sets expectations and allows you to pull it out. And say, no, I did send it to you. Uh, here's evidence of that, or whatever, right? Um, we use Slack oftentimes, and uh, it's Slack is integrated with a lot of our content, or excuse me, our editorial calendars. In that, every time a project starts, we start a Slack channel, which allows us to go back in time and say, no, I sent you that brief back in September. Uh, here's here it is on Slack, and they cannot argue with that. So mm -hmm. it's it's a really, really good tool to hold yourself and others accountable to projects and tasks and, and so forth and so on. Yeah, and to add to that, I wasn't a huge believer in content calendars. It almost felt like busy work. Um, but when I started doing them, like at 90 Cent Floor with the team, I noticed a big difference in stuff happening and getting done on time and not just on time, but quality. And so I would say if you are putting together a content calendar don't just editorial have, calendar. Or, ed, ed, editorial Same calendar. Um, don't just say that this blog post is going to go live on Friday and that's the deadline. You need to have sub deadlines within that. You know, is there research involved? When does that need to be done? The article needs to be written by the Wednesday before that Friday. Are we going to have photos? Is a photographer taking those? Are we using those from another website? We need to have the photos ready to go. And then you have this big list to where now you're not waking up on Thursday saying, oh, crap. Tomorrow we've got a blog post we've got to throw together. And so you're going to get the deadlines are going to be meet, especially when you're working in a team environment. And it's going to be quality because you're buying yourself a little extra time uh, to make sure that everything looks good and it's not thrown together last minute. So okay. I'm a big believer in them. So use an editorial calendar if you can slash want to. Just kidding. You should always do it no matter what. Just do it. Here we go. All right, what's it going to land on? Looks like we have got number four. Okay, number four takes us back to social media marketing. Brandon, how much does social media marketing cost, and what's the ROI? Hmm, it's interesting. Uh, you can answer that many ways. 
uh, I guess the quick answer is it's free, but that's including lots of time. Mm-hmm. Um, also not including ad spend, which Facebook is very much a pay-to-play platform, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But um, the ROI on social, I think, is one of the lowest. And I say that because I think most of the time it isn't done right. Um, if you're doing social right, it can have a pretty good return depending on your audience and everything. So you do it like I don't think it's, you know, it's not going to have that sales ROI that email is going to have or a paid ad on search. Those are going to have higher ROIs if you're tying it to sales. Uh, I think social media is very much a place to uh, storytell and build your brand, build the trust, uh, get in front of new people. It's not necessarily the place to sell all the time. And I think that's the big mistakes companies make is they get on Instagram and they immediately just sell, sell, sell every post rather than build something, create content that's valuable for their viewers where they want to engage with the brand and then eventually buy their product. Kind of goes back to the whole jab, 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 right hook mm-hmm. uh, uh, idea from Gary Vanderchuk because that's the big mistakes. Everyone does right hooks every post and no one wants to follow accounts that do that. Yeah. So my thoughts on social media and ROI are social media is one of the only channels that can fit very well into um, all parts of the uh, of the sales funnel, right? Uh, typically, I, I see social media fitting into the upper funnel part where it's more of a nurturing play where you have the storytelling and the branding where you're trying to capture um, the attention of, of, of your audience, right? And that's it. You're looking for attention. And, and that's the that's the metric that you're looking at with engagement, likes, shares. That Those are vanity metrics that give you an idea of how much attention you're getting. Uh, but it can also be used lower down the funnel. Like uh, Brandon mentioned, uh, some people use it as a direct response tool where they have a product, they put a product on there, and there's a buy now button. And that is a direct response. And in some cases, that works really well. Uh, as far as the ROI, uh, I will say this. ROI isn't always measured by money, right? Sometimes ROI can be measured uh, in the number of leads you're getting or the number of email subscriptions. You can tie a specific monetary amount to that if you'd like, uh, but it doesn't always have to be uh, money, right? ROI is return on investment, not how much money am I making from the money I'm spending. Anyway, so so that's social media. Uh, there's It can have a ton of ROI. It could have no ROI. Brandon mentioned it depends on what you're doing. That's true. Um, I, I guess this game is kind of hard to play when you don't have a specific business you're talking about. But in, in, that is true. In, in generalities, uh, figure out where your audience is and spend your time there. That's, uh, that's where you'll get the most ROI. Yeah, I say don't look overall in general. Don't look at social media as your money generating tool because you will be disappointed at least short term. Long term, it definitely can be look at it as a way to take your current customers and potential customers. And that's the platform where you're going to turn them into fans, not just customers. Social is the place where you can do that. It's very tough to build a cult following through email or even on your website, but social is the place where you can kick back, relax, uh, show that you're the cool company. And then they go and they tell your friends, they tell, tell their tell, friends, they tell their friends how It'd cool, be cool you if are. they were telling my friends. Yep. And then they all want to go to the party. So that's how you should look at social. <laughs> 
Okay, I think we have time for maybe one or two. So let's uh, let's roll the ball. All right. Mm. Anticipation is amazing. Looks like it's going to land on 34. 34 takes us to the email marketing portion. Man, email is dominating. And uh, the question is, which metrics should I be looking at? <laughs> which metrics should I be looking at? Um, and email marketing, which metrics should you be looking at? Well, email marketing is very much a direct response, right? Like I think the, the goal there is you're wanting them to take action, not just read your email and then archive it and go away like they would, you know, a social media post. So I would say, I think there's a lot of focus put on open rates and that's great. Something to kind of pay attention to, but I would say, in my opinion, the ultimate is what is the click through rate of uh, your emails? Are people actually clicking the link? Cause you could have, you know, 66% open it, but then uh, 2% actually click the call to action at the bottom. I'm, I'm interested to know why one trumps the other. Now, let me tell you why, because I, 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 you mentioned the two that I would mention open rate and click through rate. Those are mm -hmm. almost like, like, I mean, there's, I, I, I don't know. Are there other metrics that you would even look at with email? Um, trying to think my mind just went blank so so here, here's why i'm asking is because if you look at click-through rate as the dominant like that's the number one but you're not looking at open rate if you're not looking at open rate then you're not looking for ways to improve your open rate uh as an example if you if you send your email to 100 people and 10 people open it and all 10 people click on it that's a hundred percent click-through rate yeah right mm -hmm. uh but if you're not focusing on getting 20 people to open it you may get 20 click through, right? So yeah. people can't click through unless they open, but people can't open unless you have a really great subject line. I mean, we, we mentioned this a few minutes ago. I'm just wondering what makes click through the apex. Well, and to clarify, so I agree with you. Like, I don't think it's one or the other. Um, I do my, my, the reasoning why I think that the click through rate is, at least a little bit more important is because you could be really good at creating deceptive titles and optimizing and be like, man, I'm increasing my open rates. But does that mean people are still clicking through and going and, and actually taking actions? And if you want to take it one step further, go into analytics and actually look at the clicks coming from email and are, is the bounce rate high or are they staying on the website and taking action there? And you got to keep, you know, now you're getting outside of email, but I think that's the reason why, yeah, you want to pay attention to both because if people aren't opening, then you're going to have 0% uh, click-through rate and you got to focus on that open rate. But once you're getting that up, that's where you, I, I think that that's the most important metric is are they actually taking action? Because I open a lot of emails that I look at for about 0.8 seconds and then I delete it, archive it, maybe even mark it as spam. So what you're saying that is that open, open rate is not super clear on whether it was a good email or not. Yeah, right. It means your headline was good enough to, that people clicked on it, but did it match the content? Did it match the the wants, the needs of the user? I think the click-through rate is more telling uh, when you're comparing those two. Okay, so that answers the question, what metrics should we be looking at? Obviously, open rate is important. Click-through rate is also important. Uh, you should be looking at them both. Uh, we couldn't answer the question, what other metrics are there besides those two? So, uh, oh, there's also unsubscribe oh, rate. Yeah. 
and uh, spam rate. So those are two other metrics that just came up. Yes, and is true. That, that you should also be looking at, but probably not as important. Yeah, unsubscribe I look at as a list whole. So, like, you know, I've got my 10 emails in an automation. If I notice that email four is where everybody is unsubscribing, I'm going to take a much deeper look at that email to see what is pissing people off. Yeah, and obviously that's when you have a series. But if you're doing one-off emails, you'll yeah. want to pay very close attention to the unsubscribe rate for each so that so that you can kind of differentiate uh, what may be causing people to uns- unsubscribe and what not. And spoiler alert for those just getting into email marketing, uh, you will have people unsubscribe every email you send out. Don't take it personally. <laughs> it's business. That's hilarious. Uh, okay, so Brandon, let's do let's do one more. Let's do it. Here we go. The last one is always a good one. All right. Looks like we got number. 13. Okay, so this goes back to social media. Social media has been the dominant uh, uh, section that we've been focusing on tonight. As it should be. And question number 13 is, is outreach an important part of social media marketing? Yes, I think so. So I've actually just been doing outreach this past week, and it's been really interesting. So I have a video that will be going live this weekend on my YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash TV. <laughs> Check it out and subscribe. But what I'm doing is I'm just highlighting, you know, there's a lot of uh, really popular tech tubers or, you know, YouTube tech people. And I want to do a video showing which phones do they personally use as their primary phone because they're always reviewing and talking about a bunch. But I think it's telling that these quote unquote tech experts, which phones are they using? So obviously you can look at their videos and I have, and you can kind of make assumptions and some people come out and just say it, but I've been doing a lot of outreach on uh, that, where I'm reaching out to these people, finding their emails. Um, today actually was really creepy. So I've MKBHD. Are you familiar with him at all? No. Uh, he's really popular. I bet you've seen some of his videos, but he's really popular. And I've been emailing him like three times and I have not gotten a response back. And I've gotten response like from even bigger YouTubers he was just one of them that hasn't gotten back. And today, right before the show, he released a video um, showing uh, a preview of what the next Android version is going to look like. He's, he's showing the developer beta preview. And one of his shots, he it showed his lock screen, and there was an email notification. So I blew it up full screen, and I could see his personal email on there. And that was not an email that I was using. So right before the show, I just went ahead and then wrote... A very similar email, but I sent it to that personal mm-hmm. one. So you got to dig around sometimes hmm. to get that. But when it comes to social people, I think in marketing in general, when you're thinking outreach, you think guest blogging and that's it. But I think reaching out and developing real relationships with these people is great because now I'm going to be creating a content that is obviously promoting all of these different people. And 80% of them, I've gotten an email back from them. So now I've established somewhat of a connection. I've then done something nice and created a piece of content that talks about them in a, in, a, in a good way. And now I have that connection if I need them for a future project to leverage something maybe a little bit bigger. So I think social, it all kind of goes into influencer marketing. You're wanting to build relationships, whether you're an influencer and you're trying to build it with others, companies. I mean, everybody should be working together. The, the, the You know, it's the saying, the rich get richer. And that's, you look at influencers, they all know each other and it pays off because um, they get, you know, the people with, 
lots of subscribers get more subscribers yeah. because they work with each other. So you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, you mentioned um, outreaching to influencers via email, which is kind of a, a back end, like the relationship between you and the influencer is just between you and the influencer. But there's a more obvious way to outreach, and that's through social channels instead of through email. Yeah. And what that does is that allows uh, your followers to see that you're interacting with an expert in a specific field, and then you magically become an expert as well uh, through association. So I'm not saying that's bad. Obviously, developing a relationship through email is really important for future projects, current projects, whatever it is. And there's that interaction within your uh, your content that you're creating. But uh, I think it, it may be a little more impactful in uh, to allow your followers to see the interaction uh, evolve or happen um, in real time rather than uh, only getting the glimpses of once your content goes live because um, they don't have access to your email. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I think there's two different um, – there's, there's pros and cons to both. If I was reaching out cold to a YouTuber or an Instagrammer and I need something from them um, – I like I wouldn't do that over social because most of the time they're just going to ignore it, especially if they're really big. Uh, you know, Twitter direct messages, YouTube direct messages, Instagram direct messages. None of those work if you're actually trying to get in front of someone. However, if you're like adding to their content, someone does a, a, a YouTube video, a really good Instagram post, and you interact by like basically kind of adding to the story, the picture, the video saying, wow, this is great. You did a great job. Or Rand Fishkin tweets something, and then you respond back, um, and then people see that response, and and you're kind of in that conversation. In that sense, yes, I was giving the example as like just literally trying to like cold develop a relationship. The ideal way would be to you know for months be an active commenter and mm -hmm. a, a fan almost, and then reach out on email. Uh, obviously, what I was asking was very easy. Like, it makes it a little bit more authentic. Yeah. First, I mean, I was just saying, like, can you confirm that you use the Google Pixel? All you got to do is just email back and say yes or no. Like, it's really simple. But if it was something bigger, I bet a lot of them would not have responded unless they identified, like, oh, you're the guy that's always commenting on my stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take some time to, to help you out. So, I mean, that kind of goes back to the basics of whether it's link building, social, whatever. Just treat people like people and try to, like, be a real friend and provide value to them. And you're going to have a very successful career in marketing. Yeah. So I mentioned that that was going to be our last one. I feel like content marketing got the shaft. So I um, I selected, I, I, I personally selected a question from the content marketing section that I would like to address. Uh, and that is about long and short form content and which is better. Uh, I have an opinion about it. This question has come up at Vivint a few times recently, and it's interesting the two parties that kind of uh, come out of the woodworks when talking about long, uh, long form versus short form content. Do you have a Do you have an opinion about that, Brandon? My uh, knee jerk reaction is both. I think they're both equally important, and it really depends on the platform. I, that's not the question. It's not the question. Isn't which is more important? The question is which is better. <sighs> I think you can't have one without the other. Hmm. Like, okay. I, I won't interrupt you. And it you could be the same piece. Like if it's Vivint and you're doing a big piece on um, protecting your home, I think the long form content obviously does well in the blog. 
but then you can break that into short form content for the different social platforms and other places. Um, so like, you know, on Facebook, long form content does not do well. Even long videos don't do well. Whereas YouTube, people like long videos. So you kind of have to adapt to the platform so you can have your message, your piece of content, but depend, but it needs to be broken up into these different places. If we're limiting it, if we're limiting it to a blog and you were to say, Hey, just on a blog, long post or short post. I would say it depends on the topic. If I'm reading about big data security, I'm going to want a long in-depth post. If it's about uh, Kanye West's latest tweet, I don't want to read more than a paragraph of that. So um, not the black and white answer you're probably looking for. No, no, but... no. That's, I think that's perfect. And, and, and like most answers, it's always it depends, uh, especially since we're not, we're not specifying a business case. I mean, this is, this is total generalities. Uh, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on, on a lot of stuff. I'm going to get a little bit more in depth. Um, s- some studies have shown that short and sweet is better because that's what the consumer wants, right? They, they want to be able to skim and, uh, and get the information as quickly as possible and move on, right? But when it comes to conversion, it has shown that long form typically does better. And that's probably because the more information you can give someone, the less likely they are to go somewhere else to find that information. So if they have, if they, if someone comes to your website with ten questions, and your short form answers two of them, well, they're going to keep looking until the other eight are answered. But if your one your one post answers all ten questions and they have no reason to go somewhere else, then at that point they can purchase. They can make the purchase. Right. Um, there's also the fact that. Uh, so again, this often comes uh, with the same argument as quality versus quantity, which it's not a, it's not the perfect comparison because you can have long form that's just terrible, right? But oftentimes that's the argument is should we go shorter, which typically means less quality because we're we have less research or we have less information, or should we go longer, which typically is associated with higher quality because we're covering more topics, we're we're getting more in depth with the subject. Um uh, what's often brought up in in these conversations is uh, the Wall Street Journal. Okay, so a few months ago we brought this up. The Wall Street Journal started publishing twelve thousand articles a day. Twelve hundred. Twelve. I think we made that mistake in the in the episode too, right? <laughs> Wall Street Journal was publishing twelve hundred articles a day, and a lot of them were machine generated, right? So a lot of the articles that that were about the sports scores, uh, you know the weather for the day, things that they could plug into an API and just have a, you know, a robot write it for them. And then they publish, they saw a significant increase in organic traffic because of the quantity of uh, articles that they were, that they were publishing. The downside to that is, um, sorry, that's not how I wanted to frame it. If you go more long form, especially from an organic SEO standpoint, if you do keyword research and you do a long form article, you're capturing more keywords and you can rank for a lot more keywords, which typically means more reach. Um, so obviously there's, there's, there's uh, pros and cons for each. Uh, in my opinion, a, a healthy content marketing strategy when it comes to writing is to do both, right? And I think that there are media types that can be accommodated by both types of long and short form writing. Uh, anyway, if you have specific topics, like when, when as we kind of pull out these questions, 
uh, we're kind of getting general, right? We're not we're not specifying a specific industry, a specific company, a specific platform. Uh, it's it would be really helpful if you, as you're listening, if you have a business and you're like, holy cow, I'd really like uh, them to kind of walk through this case study uh, uh, that I just can't I just can't crack it. Shoot us an email inbound at belowthefold.io. We'll bring it up uh, on the show. We'll gather some experts and we'll talk through it. And hopefully that'll be helpful. Brandon, we are out of time. That sucks. If you have liked this segment, we did something totally different this episode. We decided to do a little roulette. Um, we focused on social media marketing, email marketing, and content marketing. Uh, if you really liked this segment, if you found that it was helpful, please reach out and let us know. We're looking for specific segments that we can start incorporating into the show. Uh, if we don't hear from anyone, we'll assume that nobody likes it and we'll, 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 we'll kill it. We'll, we'll, it'll get the ax. So if you enjoyed Digital Marketing Roulette, shoot us an email, reach out on Twitter. Uh, our handle is at below the fold IO and, uh, and, and we'll engage with you. Uh, if you have enjoyed the show and it's been valuable, please leave a review on iTunes. It's really helpful. And that's it. Do you have anything else, Brandon? And Stitcher now, right? We are now in Stitcher as well. And soon to be Google Play. Yeah. Why aren't we in Google Play? It's just an RSS feed. Just go grab a, go copy and paste our URL. And there we go. (laughs) And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold.